This morning, I'm entitling my message, Applying the Trifecta to Improve Our Relationship with God. Applying the Trifecta to Improve Our Relationship with God. Now, during this time of the year, it is customary to visit our deceased Mishpocha's grave sites. We would go to the Jewish cemetery called Love Brothers in Price Hill in Cincinnati, Ohio. And as a young boy, I would walk around the area on the grassy parts and, and I would search for people with a last name, Clayman or Apple, which was my mother's maiden name. I would hear my relatives who were accompanying us shout out, oh, here's Aunt Sarah, or this is Oscar, Israel's brother. You know his wife wound up in an institution and had a lobotomy? And the response, yes, that's the one. And the reminiscing would continue until it would turn to, and you know, it always turned to. Someone would always start in on, can you believe the condition of this gravestone? Look at this chip, Lil, and, and look, look, looks like a paint smudge right across the top of the stone. And look at the weeds. Sam, didn't we get perpetual care? Of course we got perpetual care. Then why aren't we getting it? From the rhetoric, it would move to action. I'm going to the management. Where's the management? And they would search for the cemetery office. And that would go on for some 20 minutes, walking in strange geometric patterns between the graves, trying to avoid the wet grassy areas, stopping along the way to notice a gravestone that had a name that became a centerpiece of conversation. Finally, after complaining about muddy shoes, a small constituency of the larger flock located the office. Then of course, the office was closed. It was always closed. I think they knew in advance that it was closed, it, but this was all just part of the ritual. They vowed to do something about the condition of the grave in question, but they never did. They never did until the whole cycle of observation, grievance, and visitation of the closed office repeated the following year. This is one of my treasured memories of the high holidays. And, and this, will, this will appear in my book, which I haven't started yet. Well, weeks ago, we began our journey of consolation right after Av, in our lead up to Rosh Hashanah, after which we marked the 10 days of awe and repentance and Shabbat Shuvah, culminating in today, in Yom Kippur, the most solemn day of all. Last night was the Kol Nidre service, and I tuned in for the service, and I listened intently to my friend, Marcy, do that moving plaintive chant, which is filled with ages of pain and passion, the depths of which could be heard in Marcy's delivery through, the tone, through her tonal properties uh, of the sound and the crescendo placement of the notes. 
I can say that Marcy's rendition of Cole Nidre definitely continues to improve with age. Today, I would like to explore an approach for getting on the right side of God, which is the side we want to be on. Rabbi Greenfield had my attention at a young age at Ohav Shalom Synagogue when he recited the Unetaneh Tokev, let us speak of the awesomeness. That's the translation. In a solemn tenor voice, he recited it and said that God would determine on these holy days. I can hear it. Who will die at his predestined time and who will before his time? Who by water and who by fire, who by sword, who by beast, who by famine, who by thirst, who by storm, who by plague, who by strangulation and who by stoning, who will rest and who will wander, who will live in harmony and who will be harried, who will enjoy tranquility and who will suffer who will be impoverished and who will be enriched, who will be degraded and who will be exalted. It struck a bit of terror in a young boy in me. And death was, was real to me by the age of five. I lost my paternal grandmother and witnessed my father cry for the first time. By age 12, my maternal grandfather died and I cried. Death is real. And we probably all assuredly will taste of it unless of course the Lord returns before that. But in the midst of this reality, there is comfort. No one dies outside of God's presence. Know that God ordains it and he will attend in person to your passing and be a witness. In life, we know there is misery. In death, for those whose sins have been atoned for, for the righteous, there's eternal comfort. And this gives me comfort when I think of Leroy. And when I think of all those, and it seems like more and more, that are passing as I get older and older and close, sir, to the time when it comes for me. I wanna build an intertextual message first around three scriptures in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, because here we see three pillars of the Jewish faith that are helpful, no, I, I would say essential to make sure we are good with God, which of course is really the objective of this holy day and of every day. First, tshuva, repentance, repentance. Yeshua said in Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. On this day, we facilitate repentance, turning from sin by afflicting our soul. Fasting has everything to do with affliction. 
We are made more spiritually sensitive because of a deprived condition from not eating or reducing our food intake. We fast in order to be more dependent on God and less dependent upon ourselves. And we do it to be more in touch with the things from above. We confess our sins and renew our walk in godliness to turn from our ways and turn to his ways. Isaiah 58, which uh, we read in part, is the prescription for the fast that God desires. Not one of show, but of sincerity. Repentance is a key that gets God's attention and unlocks the doors to the kingdom now. Last night in the Kol Nidre service, the chant began with all our vows, Kol Nidre, all our vows, asking God to annul those insincere and foolish comments. It was specifically addressed, um, as Howard said last night, to the unwilling converts during the medieval period in Jewish history who chose to save their lives by converting to Christianity or to Islam. Certainly, this is a day of repentance, cleaning the slate, so to speak, by recommitting to a life of holiness, a holy walk, a holy daily walk, recommitting every morning when we rise, and a willing heart to turn from anything less than God's love and leading. Secondly, charity, tzedakah, tzedakah, tzedakah. Matthew 6, 2, when you give to the needy, not if you give, involves charity or tzedakah, which includes giving your money, uh, which uh, may happen for many of you uh, tonight after sundown and after the service when Yom Kippur ends through the mail or otherwise. It is a challenge, you know. Uh, we all uh, congregationally are being very creative and have to be. And don't think for one moment that rabbis and congregational leaders are working any less during this time. They are much more taxed. I'm not just talking about during the time of the whole of the holy days, I'm talking about uh, Shabbat to Shabbat as well. Uh, it also includes the tzedakah, righteous, righteous service or deeds, is the root of the word tzedakah is rightness, correctness, uh, righteous. Tzedakah then is a response to God's graciousness to us. We're motivated to give back to Him through righteous service, service to others, which is pleasing to God. This is the way it works. This is the way that God serves his children through his children. This is where we have a real opportunity to partnership with God in ministry. Here's the way it goes. God served us in the garden when he visited Adam and Eve, fed them, clothed them, sustained them, then, of course, Adam and Eve fell, but he sent his son Yeshua to visit the marginalized, feed the needy, comfort the suffering, visit the orphans and the widows, 
and those in prison. He went back to the right hand of the father after his resurrection and after uh, he was here for uh, 40 days and the ascension. Now we are called to imitate Yeshua who sent the comforter, the Ruach HaKodesh, to lead us into all tzedakah, all tzedakah, righteousness, and do the same. After all, God's challenge is to take the chaos and the mess that we have created and turn that into something good. And the mystery is that he uses us to do that here on earth as his legs and hands and mind. Thirdly, tefillah, prayer. Matthew 6, 5, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, tells us to pray sincerely from our hearts. And this is what we're doing this morning. Prayer keeps the channels of communication open with God. And prayer keeps us in the presence of God, and it keeps God in our presence. It's a two-way channel of communication. It's not just me, 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 me. Not just asking God for this, 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 this. But it is listening to God and to his answers and interceding and praying for others and being sensitive to his voice and his leading. In Judaism, we have verbal communal prayers, verbal communal prayers. We have silent prayers. We have individual prayers as well. Prayer keeps us focused on that which matters, the otherworldly, the otherworldly while we are here as museum goers passing through. We are in the world. There's no question about that, Uh, but we are not of the world. It keeps us in line, so we are less apt to succumb to temptation, to go astray from our own path, uh, uh, go astray in our own path. Prayers really are lifeline to God. It's our 911 number, but it's not just for emergencies. It's for the mundane things as well in our life that matter to us. Because if they matter to us, then they matter to God. There's nothing nothing too small for God and for you to bring to him. In a sense, prayer is the staying power of repentance and service. Prayer is the staying power of repentance and service. Now, earlier, we recited a part of the customary Kedusha prayer, Unetaneh Tokev. We mentioned that, who shall die by this and who shall die by that. And it's sent up to God. It's an interesting kedusha because uh, here, instead of the angels uh, participating in the Amidah, and uh, it's us. We're higher than the angels. You know, we are sending up uh, our uh, prayers and and our extolling uh, God. Uh, and so uh, here, another 
part recited by the congregation and or sometimes the, the Chazan alone or the Chazan and the congregation reads, on Rosh Hashanah will be inscribed and on Yom Kippur will be sealed how many will pass from the earth and how many will be created. Then the congregation says aloud, and then the Chazan, but repentance, prayer, and charity remove the evil of the decree, or in another translation, tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah, take away the severity of the decree. There we have, at least traditionally, the trifecta, or those three, all in one uh, prayer place. Now here's the rub. Here's the rub. I cited what Yeshua said regarding repentance, service, and prayer. But those were not express, they were not express biblical instructions in the context of Yom Kippur, though I do see them embedded in Leviticus 16 that we read today, or a portion of. Uh, they are pillars of Judaism. What I'm saying is it doesn't expressly uh, service. But you see the high priest performing service. Uh, of course, there's prayer in it. And of course, uh, it's all predicated upon the Day of Atonement and repentance. Uh, they are pillars of Judaism for sure, cornerstones upon which the Jewish faith and tradition rests and practices. And certainly, our Jewish sages recognized that they were associated with the high holidays through their construct of the traditional uneten tokef, which at the end of the piyut, which is the liturgical poem, prayer, there are shouts of tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah, intended to assuage or mitigate God's judgment. You know, it wouldn't be the first time that God was influenced by our prayers for example, Moses is pleading to God not to forget the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when God said, I'll just raise up a new lineage and I'll raise up you. I'm glad he didn't ask me because I would have had to have thought about that a little bit. Uh, but no, Moses uh, was filled with uh, a righteousness and uh the love of God. And these are certainly personal for all of us, the repentance and the prayer and the service. And these are things we should do often and early, but we do not need to wait until Yom Kippur and we should not, but these should be habitual practices for each one of us individually. Die daily, pray without ceasing and give full measure. But when I look at the Yom Kippur scriptures, uh, and uh, particularly Leviticus 16, which is the most detailed and descriptive, uh, I don't see the primary focus upon us individually. I don't see the primary focus on us uh, separately or individually, but rather corporately. Corporate, the focus is corporately on Israel, of course, B'nai Israel, 
once a year because of Israel's corporate sins that needed to be covered, the high priest was to make atonement because the children were unclean individually, of course, but this day was a collective focus to cover Israel's transgressions. The goat that was sacrificed was the representative atonement, forgiveness for Israel's sins for one year, for a year. The scapegoat upon which the lot fell, the Azazel, depicted Israel's release from judgment. What I'm saying is that this is also a day of corporate or community repentance, congregational repentance, uh, prayer, and service of the heart. The grand day that was set aside once a year for an atoning uh, entityship or collective purpose. Our focus includes Israel and our community, our messianic community and our local congregational community. This is the mindset. This is the mindset of Yom Kippur that differentiates it perhaps uh, from the other 364 or in some cases, 365 days. This is the mindset. As they say, we are all in it together. When we confess, confess sins, as we do in the Avinu Malkenu prayers, we are confessing our sin, not just my sin. It is collective. It is all in the first person plural, first person plural, not the first person singular. We have sinned. It is important as we pray individually that we engage in the type of intercessory prayer for Israel for their repentance. The target should be after we repent for our own sins, as did the high priest, you notice, and also for his family, uh, that we collectively target Israel and our community as well. Now, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it's a place in Scripture where we see all these, uh, the trifecta, the three, the repentance and the prayer and the service uh, combined here. In, in, in one Scripture, uh, if we can be imaginative, uh, we see the three pillars of mitigation or trifecta. Uh, you're all familiar with this scripture, uh, whether you know it by 2 Chronicles 7, 14 or not, because you've heard it time and time again and apply to uh, every imaginable uh, um, place and peoples. It's all about Israel, though. Let me put it in context. It says, you'll know, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves... So one way of humbling ourselves is to deny self-sufficiency and some humbly and, and come humbly uh, before the Lord in prayer, humility, prayer. And then it says, and seek my face, which relates to Psalm 1715, which says, I shall behold your face in tzedek, in righteousness, righteous service. And then, of course, and turn from their wicked ways. And that's obviously repentance, right? 
Well, then it goes on to say, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This is the context in which God is speaking to Solomon. The temple has probably just recently been uh, built and it's a dedicatory time. And God issues these instructions with a promise saying, if my people, it's conditional. Apparently they didn't meet the condition because they got kicked out, right? We got kicked out uh, of, of the temple and of the uh, sovereignty that we had. And, and uh, uh, many went to Babylon, some stayed uh, locally. And uh, then we see uh, uh, the sadness uh, in the Psalms where they were asked to sing a song, but how could they? Because they're in exile. The temple uh, 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 probably was standing during this prayer because it was fairly newly rebuilt and, or built. And God issues these instructions with a promise. He says, if my people, now this is my people. This is my people. God's people. That's who's speaking. This is Israel. The primary understanding applies to Israel. That's undeniable according to traditional principles of interpretation. It's based upon what the people standing there heard and understood at the time, which was not the United States. They didn't understand it to mean the United States. The United States is not the center of God's end time barometer. We're not centerfold in God's plan, yet we are all central and we are significant. Now, secondarily, if you want to apply it to believers, you want to apply it to any country, you can. But it's no assurance that God will fulfill the promise of healing the land, which promise was made to Israel in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It primarily refers to corporate Israel. And today, as well as seeking atonement for each one of us individually, we intercede for Israel and for our community, and we do it by petitioning God in the name of the atoning, sacrificial Lamb of God, Messiah Yeshua. For it is Yeshua who is Israel's substitutionary offering, which will eventuate in Israel's day of salvation when that nation, when that nation, no guarantee, for other nations, but when that nation shall be born in a day and all Israel shall be saved, future Israel. And I would not be surprised for that happening to occur on Yom Kippur, Israel's national day of atonement. In conclusion, life is messy and the messiness of life is intended to draw us to the Lord. Otherwise, we'd want to live in the kingdom of man eternally instead of the kingdom of God. We'd be so content here in a paradisical setting that we would have no interest in the otherworldly and the things that are above. But God has provided a way on this Yom Kippur for you, for this community, for Israel, for atonement. That is to be at one reconciled, to come into a harmonious relationship with God such that we might have assurance 
that our sins are forgiven and our lives are preserved eternally in him. It's not by the blood of bulls or by works of righteousness, lest any of us boast, but it's by the mercy, by the atoning work of God's son, Yeshua. He displaced us from the crucifixion stake. He said, move over of that eternal judgment that we were headed toward and destined for. And he took our makom, our place, our makom. He took our place where we should have absolutely rightly been. We read during Rosh Hashanah, a type or a shadow of that substitution in Genesis 22, when God intervened in Abraham's offering up of Isaac and substituted a ram instead. I could read that story, uh, biblical story, time and time again. Uh, not like one person who I said, well, you know, you've, you've come to this place, uh, you should read the Bible. You, you, you might as well just, you know, start in the New Testament and, and read the Bible. And he said to me, I already read it. You know, I mean, it's not the type of thing that you read once because God's uh, depths of understanding uh, is so full that the layers unpeel and unpeel like an onion. The more you read and understand and pray in fulfillment of that shadow, I'm talking about uh, the offering of Isaac uh, up or that hint. In reality, God offered up his son on the stake in our stead so that we no longer need a temporal high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies each year, but rather the eternal offering of the blood of Yeshua. And there's no other substance given among men uh, under heaven here on earth uh, that would substitute for the blood of Yeshua that was offered up in the Beit HaMikdash in the heavenly court. We're all just one prayer away from confessing Yeshua by believing in our heart that he is that high priest who gave up his life for each one of us and then confessing that truth. God has done it as well for corporate Israel. We have the privilege of renewing and improving our relationship with our king by the three spiritual implements of repenting, praying, and serving the living God daily in the pattern that we have done and spoke about this Yom Kippur. May we all be inscribed for a great year ahead, sealed for eternity, and take what barriers and disappointment that come our way and use them to improve our relationship with God through repentance, prayer, and service to others. Gamar Chatima Tova Betzom Kol. May you be sealed and have an easy remaining fast in Yeshua's name.